Welcome to Tech Talk Online, sponsored by Stratford University. You can listen to Tech Talk Live Saturday mornings from 9 till 10. Find us online at federalnewsnetwork.com or hear us on the radio in the Washington, D.C. area on the following frequencies. 1500 AM, 1035 FM HD 2, and 1039 FM HD 2. We thank you for listening to Tech Talk Radio. Interfacing complete. Please stand by. Now downloading Tech Talk Radio with Dr. Richard Schertz and Jim Russ. Tech Talk Radio, it's technology you can understand. And now here are Dr. Richard Schertz and Jim Russ. Welcome to Tech Talk Radio. We are in the virtual faculty lounge at Stratford University talking technology. I'm Dr. Richard Schertz. And I'm Jim Russ. Lots of things going on in technology, as always. This, of course, was the week that everybody knows that the iPhones aren't selling. Uh, yeah, at least in, in China, right? In China, especially in China. And they're, then they, it's a quite sluggish sales worldwide. Could it be that they cost more than $1,000 is the reason? I think Apple has finally hit the price point where uh-huh. the consumer is rejecting the product. And they're going to have to recalibrate for sure. Uh, Google has come up with a little radar chip that they're going to use to detect hand motion so they can replace touch screens. Huh. So it's, it's really an interesting technology. I was watching videos demonstrating it, and they've got this in just a very small chip. Face recognition was tested on shoppers in the U.K., and they were looking for, you know, thieves or people who are wanted, and so they're testing that. I think face recognition is going to become more and more prevalent everywhere. And, of course, the privacy advocates are worried about that quite a bit. And now there's a new way to, to, to launch a space telescope using a swarm of satellites. And they all work together to create a, an effectively larger aperture. It's called synthetic aperture uh, imaging. And uh, it's, it's actually a will significantly reduce the cost of deploying large space telescopes. And this week we're going to feature one of the key players in um, quantum computing. He's actually here in Maryland. He's in Maryland. Is Christopher Roy Monroe. He's uh, he started a company which is uh, using trapped ions to create qubits, and they now have the biggest, the biggest quantum computer uh, that is out there now. And they are and they got a big investment from Apple, Google, from Google Ventures, and uh, they're moving forward with this. So it's an interesting story. And of course, it was a huge. Huge mailbag. Gigundus. There's a letter in your mailbox. Oh, yeah. We got an email from Frank Romeo looking for QuickBooks or Quicken open source replacement accounting software. You covered it one day on the radio, but I lost the name of the software. Please help Frank Romeo. Well, Frank, there are several accounting software programs that are free and open source. These programs are alternatives to traditional accounting programs like QuickBooks or Peachtree. They all, all the ones that I'm talking about today run on Windows, they run on a Mac, or they run on Linux. I hope these open source options will be useful. Most are free. Some have commercial support options, like if they're loaded, the open source software is loaded on the cloud, you might pay for some cloud support. But by and large, they're a very good deal. And I'll, I'll give you eight of them, and you can, and there'll be a list, of, if you go to the, if you go to the techtalkonline.com 
site, you will be, find uh, the list will probably have it posted Monday, and you can get all that. The first one is ADMPR, A-D-E-M-P-I-E-R-E, ADMPR, business software. It's an open source software solution that combines inter enterprise resource planning, ERP, customer relationship management, CRM, and supply chain management into its framework. So it's pretty pretty broad-based enterprise network. The next one is Apache OF Biz. Apache OFBIZ offers a full range of functionality with its open source accounting software, including advanced e-commerce, catalog management, manufacturing, point-of-sale modules, in addition to accounting functions. Compiere, C-O-M-P-I-E-R-E, -E, is a cloud-based accounting software that includes customer relation uh, management software solutions. Being cloud-based, you can log in anywhere from, the, you know, anywhere you are. Front Accounting is an accounting system for small businesses and also functions in an enterprise resource planning system. Front Accounting has, re has accounts receivable, accounts payable, inventory, manufacturing. GNU Cash is another one. GNU Cash. These all got good reviews, by the way. GNU Cash. GNU Cash serves as both a small business financial accounting software program as well as a personal finance software program. GNU Cash is not as robust as the other small business programs, but it's a little easier to use. Ledger SMB is an accounting software and enterprise resource planning system for small to mid-sized businesses. Ledger SMB includes sales, purchasing, inventory management. Open Bravo is a commercial open source software company. Open Bravo is web-based accounting software and enterprise resource planning for small to mid-sized businesses. And the last one I'll talk about today is PostBooks. PostBooks is an accounting software package and business management systems that has the standard accounting modules, including general ledger, accounts receivable, accounts payable, bank reconciliation, and financial reporting. Uh, but additional features like CRM, that's customer resource management, purchasing and light manufacturing, they they have another uh, open source module called Open Report, OP. RPT, op open RPT, open report, which is an open source report writer. So uh, I think you've got a lot of good options there, Frank, and I hope that you'll enjoy looking through those and picking out the ones that have the features that you want to have for your particular application. We got an email from Susan in Alexandria. Hello, Dr. Schertz. I don't believe you featured Evelyn Berezin to date. According to Financial Times, she developed a pioneering airline reservation system, electronic stock display system, betting terminals for horse racing, and weapons targeting machines for the Pentagon. She's best known for developing Redactron's data secretary, an early commercially successful word processor. And she is a physics major. Uh, so I thought you would like to take a look at her. I did take a look at her. We're going to feature her in a, in a future show. She actually survived in the computer world when it was a man's world, and she and she did, made uh, substantial progress in that whole area. And she finishes with Happy New Year, Susan in Alexandria. Uh, we got an email from Arnie in Colorado Springs. Hi, Dr. Schertz. The latest Apple update, iOS 12.1.1, for the iPhone and iPad includes notification preview for haptic touch on the iPhone XR. It also includes dual SIM and eSIM, for additional carriers on the iPhone XR, iPhone XMs, and iPhone XS Max. 
So these, so are these particular updates included if one does not have the newer iPhones? I've got an iPhone 6 Plus, and I'd rather not have space wasted on my iPhone for things I don't need or use. How does Apple winnow down the stuff that is not applicable to older model phones? Or do they? Great program with lots of info. Happy New Year, Arnie in Colorado Springs. Well, Arnie, these updates, they survey the hardware configuration of your particular phone, and they only download those features that your phone supports. So you don't have to worry about getting downloaded software for the dual SIM or the eSIM because your, your phone doesn't support it. In fact, most software, when they actually install it, they'll configure it for your particular hardware. And you watch them at like initializing the, the download that they got. They all go through that process. They check your phone, check your hardware, then they initialize the download before they send it down. So you're not going to be a problem. You, you'll have no problem with unneeded software on your phone that just takes up space. We got an email from Don in Atlanta. Dear Doc and Jim, my girlfriend has a laptop and she simply presses the on off button to turn it on and off. I told her that she should use the software to turn off the computer, but she is not convinced. Who is correct? Dan in Atlanta. Well, Dan, uh, computers have gotten much better at protecting your data when things go wrong, but they're not perfect at keeping all your data should you force your laptop to shut down. You always should really choose the shutdown option within the start menu or the Apple menu on the Mac. It may take a little bit longer, but you'll make certain that all your work is properly saved as the software, as the operating system exits. It can be damaging to your laptop to suddenly cut off the power. See, a computer's operating system is very complex. It's delicate. Sudden loss of power could interrupt, for instance, an important process that's happening in the background. You don't even know what's going on. They might be doing some update in the background, and all of a sudden, you turn off the machine, and that is interrupted midstream, and then it could it could damage your laptop. It may make it harder to boot or may not boot. Now, it's always important to save or close your programs when powering off your laptop. You don't want to force um, your computer to shut down if you've got open applications. So save your applications, close your applications, and all your files are saved, and then exit properly. And if you play nice with your computer, you won't lose any data. So... <laughs> So you are uh, correct, and your girlfriend needs to change her ways. We got an email from Took in Fairfax. Dear Tech Talk, I love social media and would like to check out whether some pictures are real or fake. Is there a way to check out whether these pictures appear somewhere else on the web? I want to unfriend all the connections with fake, with fake pictures. Love the podcast, Took in Fairfax. Well, Tuk, this is a problem. People put fake pictures on their profiles, and you don't really know who you're talking to. And But there, fortunately, there are tools to look for fake pictures. It's very easy. There are a couple of tools I'll give you. Now, the first one, there's one, there's one Google image, which uh, you can reach by going to images.google.com, images.google.com. And you'll, you'll, and you'll, there will be a box there, and there's with, and on the, on the right side of the search field, there will be a camera button. Click on the camera button, and then it will tell you to paste the URL of the picture. So if you find a picture on the web that you want to check if it's a duplicate, copy the URL of the picture. 
You can normally right-click on the picture itself and copy the URL, and then you paste that URL right into that uh, right into that uh, that field that comes up when you click the camera, and then you hit search by image. And if the image is found in other sizes, it will be displayed on the top. Pages where the same images can, can be found will be displayed beneath it. And visually similar images can be found at the bottom of the first page of the results. So that is a very nice search tool. That's the one I like the best. Now, there's another one, and you might get different results, tinye.com, T-I-N-E-Y-E.com. Uh, in this case, just go to tinye.com, click the Upload button to browse your computer for the image file, or you could paste in a URL that you've copied, and you hit Search. And tinye, or not tinye, tinye. Tenai, yeah, it's it is. Tenai, yeah, the will 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 search results for that Tenai. same image. Is that what you were going for? Yeah, I'm looking for Tenai. <laughs> yeah. But then I got Tiny Eye written someplace else. So just yeah, why don't you check whether Tenai.com is correct, Jim? Yeah, and so Tenai will return only results for the same image. So browse through the results to find the original of the image. Whereas you see the Google one will have similar images. So you may you've got a little better. Um, Search selection with Google Images. That's why I prefer images.google.com. But Tin Eye is correct. Is correct. Okay, so I, I, I mistyped it, Tiny Eye, because it sounds better, but Tin Eye is really the correct answer. Tin Eye.com. I don't know. You typed it right. I typed in what you had here. You typed Tin Eye. Tin, E Y E. Yep, that's it. That's it. Yeah. But on the last line, see, I wrote Tiny Eye. Oh, well, there you go. See? I have it both both ways, Jim. That's a that's it's just a small mistake here in the in the in the show in the show in the show materials. Listen, uh, so Duke, I hope you can find out all those people that have fake images in their social media profiles because that's just not a nice thing to do. Listen, we love your emails. Email us at techtalk at stratford.edu, and we'll get back to you as soon as we can. It is Saturday morning, and you're listening to Tech Talk Radio here on Federal News. Hey, I have to, to turn my microphone on. It's uh, Saturday morning. You're listening to Te Tech Talk Radio on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network, 1500 AM, 103.5 FM HD 2, 103.9 FM HD 2. You can also watch us do the uh, show by uh, downloading the Periscope app to your device and following us at WFED Tech Talk. Be right back. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the internet, and IT careers. More of Tech Talk Radio, presented by Stratford University, coming up in a moment. In the next three years, there will be 3.5 million unfilled cybersecurity jobs. How can you make that work for you? Stratford University offers everything you need to succeed, from certifications to bachelor's and even master's degrees in cybersecurity to prepare you for a rewarding career in today's most lucrative and sought-after field, cybersecurity. Stratford has seasoned IT faculty, well-equipped labs, and real-life scenarios to help you achieve practical solutions to today's newest challenges. And Stratford makes a cybersecurity career reality with accelerated classes, year-round program starts, and both on-campus and online options to fit your busy schedule. All disciplines are offered, including digital forensics, networking and telecommunications, and our full line of degrees, including a master's in cybersecurity. Find the future of you with a future in cybersecurity. Go to stratford.edu slash cybersecurity today. That's stratford.edu slash cybersecurity. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio 
IT trends, software, the internet, and IT careers, here's Dr. Richard Schertz of Stratford University with Tech Talk Radio. Welcome back to Tech Talk Radio. We're in the virtual faculty lounge of Stratford University talking technology, and now it is time for... Profiles in IT. Very good. Today we're going to feature Christopher Roy Monroe. Christopher Roy Monroe is an American physicist and experimentalist in the area of atomic, molecular, and optical physics, and this is the important thing, quantum information science. Ah, that he was co-founder. He's one of your guys. Yeah, he was a co-founder of a, of a company called IonQ, which is developing a quantum computer. And at this moment, IonQ's quantum computer is the biggest quantum computer that's available with 79 qubits. So Christopher Roy Monroe was born October 19, 1965 in Southfield, Michigan. He received his undergraduate degree from MIT in 1987, and then he went to the University of Colorado to go to graduate school. He joined Carl Weinsman's research group there at the University of Colorado as he was working on his Ph.D. With Weinsman and the postdoctoral research Eric Cornell, Monroe contributed to the path for cooling a gas of atoms to the Bose-Einstein condensation phase transition. Huh? Yes. And get this. <laughs> Wyman and Cornell received the Nobel Prize for that work. So this is, I, I don't know if I should even explain this. but <laughs> We only have an hour. <laughs> well, we have an hour, so, um, yeah, so you... you, you Can you, you thumbnail it? So you take a very, you, 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 you take a... Um, a gas with what they call bosons, which have a spin of one or two, but they're they have um, uh, spins of uh, unit numbers, and, and those are called bosons. And if you take a, a very um, sparsely populated gas, you know, low pressure, and you take it down to almost zero, all the bosons will go to the very lowest level. And they spread out and they unite and they condense to a to a different form of matter. And that's called Bose-Einstein condensation. It was predicted theoretically, but nobody had ever seen it. Hmm. And these guys actually cooled the gas and they got a gas that would undergo that phase transition. And for that, they won the Nobel Prize. And Christopher Monroe was, was one of the guys working in the lab with them, but he wasn't on the Nobel Prize. But he was there, so that's a, that was a very prolific uh, research group there at University of Colorado. From 1992 to 2000, Monroe worked on the ions, in the ion storage group of David Wineland at the National Institute of Standards and Technology, NIST, in Boulder, Colorado. These are also the guys at NIST at Boulder that, 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 you know, that developed the atomic clocks. So this is the this is their area. There. So he was working on an ion storage group where you where you can create an ion in a gas and then you can store it. You can you you can isolate it with magnetic fields or electric fields or various ways or lasers and you can you can store it in one low in in one location. With Wineland Monroe led a research team that demonstrated the first quantum logic gate. That was back in 1995. Now that's almost 20 years ago mm -hmm. when this quantum logic gate came out. So that's uh, was you know he was really leading the field in that. And for the first time, he was able to entangle mo uh, multiple qubits. And so that is sort of the fundamental element of a um, 
of a quantum computer, a qubit is a quantum bit, and unlike normal normal um, computers where it's either on or off, a zero or a one, a qubit is a superposition of both states on and off, and you don't know what it, whether it's on or off until you measure it. And so that's a, that's a quantum bit, and if you can entangle multiple qubits together, you can do interesting things, and he managed to entangle them and keep them entangled. Now, and that was back in the 90s. That was He was really ahead of his game. In 2000, Monroe initiated a research group at University of Michigan, and he showed how qubit memories could be linked to a single quantum networking. For qubit memories, you could, you could, you could shoot a photon through there, and you could, you could network these, uh, these memory points together with photons. It was uh, also a big breakthrough back at that point. And... Um, he also demonstrated the first ion trap integrated on a semiconductor chip because he, he was really trying to push for using ion traps as a way to form the, the qubits. I, I mean, a qubit, any quantum, any quantum uh, effect can create a qubit, and you could, you, you could have a Josephson junction at, at superconducting temperatures where it's either on or off. That could be a quantum effect. You could have an ion, you, you could have atoms as a quantum effect, whether it's spin up or spin down. There are multiple quantum effects that you can, that you can actually use to build your, your qubits. qubits. In, uh, with Wineland, Monroe proposed a scalable quantum computer architecture based on shuttling atomic ions through complex ion trap chips. So this is when he was started thinking about building a large-scale quantum computer. In 2006, Monroe became director of the Focus Center at the University of Michigan, and he worked in the area of ultrafast optical sciences. In 2007, he became the Bice Zorn Professor of Physics at the University of Maryland. Now he's a local boy huh. and a fellow at the Joint Quantum Institute, which is a joint venture between the University of Maryland and NIST. Monroe's group produced quantum entanglement between two widely separated atoms and teleported quantum information between matter separated over a distance. This is the very feature of entanglement that Einstein hated about quantum. You, you, you take two atoms, let's say one, is, let's say one is spin up, one is spin down, and you entangle them, and then you separate them a long, long distance apart. And then if you measure one, and you get one answer, you know exactly what the, what the answer is at the other end because they've been entangled. And Einstein felt that that meant that information was traveling faster than the speed of light. And he said there's got to be a violation there. He said that's he called it spooky action at a distance. Like, would you get a speeding ticket because it's going so well, fast? Well, Einstein would give him a speeding ticket uh -huh. because you're going, they're going faster than the speed of light. But, but, they were, but they proved that this... They could teleport. They proved that they could teleport quantum information between two quantum systems that were widely separated. They exploited this result for a number of quantum communication protocols and for a new hybrid memory photon quantum computer architecture. So he was working all the building blocks of a quantum computer through his whole career. Then in 2015... While well, he's out here in Maryland, he co-founded IonQ with Jung Sang Kim from Duke University. And they co-founded IonQ based on a gamble that trapped ion quantum computing would outperform the silicon-based quantum computers that Google and others were building. Nobody was working on a trapped ion quantum computer because it seemed too, 
too complicated, but he felt actually that's going to be better. So they started the company based on that. They got $2 million in seed money from a venture firm called New Enterprise Associates. Then they worked on that, got some pretty good results, and in 2017 they raised another $20 million. This time they got the money from Google themselves. Really? I mean, Google, uh, uh, most of the money came from Google and also New Enterprise Ventures put money into that thing. Because Google is working on quantum computers, and INQ has now constructed a quantum computer that can perform calculations on 79 qubit on, on a 79 qubit array, which is fully entangled, and that beats Google's efforts by seven qubits. So now they have the sort of the largest quantum computer out there. But what's significant is that these trapped ion computers are actually far more stable. So they get single qubit error rates of 99.97%, which is substantially better than the competition at 99.5. And their two bit error their two qubit error rate is 99.3 compared to 95% of their, their competitors. So they've got a system that's very stable. It's uh, low error rate and it's uh, scalable. So this may be a winning architecture. So I thought, okay, I'm going to feature Christopher Roy Monroe because they had this major breakthrough in quantum computers. You may have answered this earlier, but I'm kind of I'm in a fog today. What is it tell us but what is a qubit? A qubit is a uh, quantum bit. See, normally in a regular computer a bit is either a zero or a one. Oh, okay, right. So this it's is either it's either it's either up or down. The switch is on or off, and so it's 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 a discrete thing. But a quantum bit is a superposition of up and down, and you don't actually know whether it's up or down until you make the measurement. So you could view it like flipping a coin, and while the coin is in the air, you don't know if it's heads or tails. True. Until it lands, you catch it. And then it's either head or tails. So a qubit is a superposition of heads and tails at the same time. Okay? okay? It's a quantum bit, and that's the magic of quantum mechanics, a superposition of states. So if you take one qubit, which is the coins flipped up, and you get another qubit with the coin flipped up, and you entangle them, you can actually do processing with that entanglement process. Gotcha. Okay? So it's a superposition of states up and down, on or off, mm. rather than just a single state, which is on definitely or on or off. Gotcha. Yes. Interesting. So there and the and what and the big um, the big worry so quantum it turns out that we have trouble calculating um, say how chemical processes work a lot of because they're all driven by you know quantum mechanics how how you know how proteins fold how certain comp, comp, very complicated chemical processes work and and conventional computers are not good at calculating quantum processes guess what a quantum computer is set up to do it and so they they can calculate very complicated reactions and molecules with quantum computing and probably get some breakthroughs in drugs and, and other things. The second thing that it's able to do quite readily, it can figure, if you've got a very large number, a quantum computer can figure out which primes make up that number. And so if you take two prime numbers and multiply them to get a huge number, you ask the question, what two prime numbers were multiplied to get the big number? Yeah. And that's a very hard thing to calculate. And that's what encryption on the internet is based on the fact that that problem can't be solved. Uh -huh. And if you try to solve that problem, it might take you, you know, a million years. But with a quantum computer, 
It takes a few seconds. Like that. So all of a sudden, quantum computers has the potential of breaking the encryption on the Internet, which is why people are worried. Gotcha. Interesting. Okay. Very good. Okay. Yes. Hope you're paying attention because you're going to take that the information that we just imparted upon you and turn it possibly into free lunch. Stand by for the pop quiz here on Tech Talk Radio, heard on the new Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network, 1500 AM, 1035 FM HD2, 1039 FM HD2. Watch us do the program, download the Periscope app to your device, and follow us at WFED Tech Talk. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the Internet, and IT careers. More of Tech Talk Radio, presented by Stratford University, coming up in a moment. In the next three years, there will be 3.5 million unfilled cybersecurity jobs. How can you make that work for you? Stratford University offers everything you need to succeed, from certifications to bachelor's and even master's degrees in cybersecurity to prepare you for a rewarding career in today's most lucrative and sought-after field, cybersecurity. Stratford has seasoned IT faculty, well-equipped labs, and real-life scenarios to help you achieve practical solutions to today's newest challenges. And Stratford makes a cybersecurity career reality with accelerated classes, year-round program starts, and both on-campus and online options to fit your busy schedule. All disciplines are offered, including digital forensics, networking and telecommunications, and our full line of degrees, including a master's in cybersecurity. Find the future of you with a future in cybersecurity. Go to stratford.edu slash cybersecurity today. That's stratford.edu slash cybersecurity. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the internet, and IT careers. Here's Dr. Richard Schertz of Stratford University with Tech Talk Radio. Live from Washington, it's the Stratford University Pop Quiz with Andrew Mitchell, Jim Russ, Featuring Mr. Big Voice. With musical guest, the Stratford University Junkyard Band. And your host, Dr. Richard Schertz. Uh, yes, thank you, thank you, thank you. Please sit down, sit down, sit down. They're tired and probably know, sick, and so they're down. sitting down. You see, that I look at the audience, they're either up or they're down, but you can't tell whether they're which state they're in because they're in motion. That's true. They're kind of like a qubit. They're kind of like a qubit. Yes. Yeah, that's they're right. like a coin flipped su- in the air. A superposition of states between up and down. Yes. That's right. So, stand, okay, settle down in one state, and they then have, we're going to get started with the show. They have settled down. As you know, this is a, uh, in addition to a radio show, it's a classroom of the airways, and with the classroom of the airways, we want to assess... Whether the audience has been listening, whether you have been listening, and so we will give you a pop quiz. The right answer to a pop quiz, you will win two tickets to fine dining at one of our uh, dining rooms, or perhaps even the restaurant up there at uh, in Baltimore. Early in the show, I talked about Christopher Roy Monroe. He, of course, is a pioneer in uh, the uh, quantum computer area, and the critical element of the quantum computer is the qubit. So can you explain, explain to us exactly what a qubit is? I think if they can do that, they get more than lunch. Oh, okay. If you're calling from <laughs> west of the Rockies, it's 877-936-9333. 
Calling from East of Playa del Shirts, Virginia, it's 877-936-9333. If you're doing Robitussin shooters in Canada, call us on the wildcard line, 877-936-9333. And of course, the international line, 877-936-39333. Once again, here's Dr. Richard Shirts. Yes, well, thank you, upcoming, and welcome back to Tech Talk. Google Wait has, a minute. Oh! I forgot the whole deal. Yeah. And if you want to reach us from oh, yeah. a remote area, yeah. you can reach us on Skype. Simply connect to Tech Talk Radio 1, and we'll get back to you, as, and we'll answer the phone as soon as we can. Uh, did you have Robitussin in your coffee uh, this think, morning? I think I did. Okay. Uh, I Mitchell, our adjunct professor for prize distribution and crowd control, is standing by to take your call, so dial now. Do you ever notice when he's sick, I'm sick? Yes. Is there some correlation there, yeah, there do you think? There could be. Okay. I was right. already jumping ahead so far. You know, because here's the thing, Jim. Uh, yeah. Once you get into the this whole quantum area. Yes. I mean, it's either now or later, and you don't know quite where it is, so you don't know what because you're I'm like in. a coin flipped in the exactly. air before you land. So I have w- once we strike out on your question, okay. I have something oh, okay. else. So let's see what happens here. <laughs> Very good. So okay. G- Google has developed radar on a chip to replace the touchscreen. This is really clever, pretty clever. Now they actually want to replace the touchscreen use, and so the the radar will detect hand movement. And you can actually put your two fingers together like you're like you're uh, turning a dial or or moving a, a lever or something, and they can they can detect very minute changes in the hand very easily. And they're looking to re, re, you know replace the touchscreen. The company Soli Project Venture wants to embed a tiny radar array into a quarter size chip that will go into smartphones, TVs, wearables, computers, vehicles. If the tests go well, it could open the door to a whole new level of interactivity. Now, the problem was is that previously they, they actually made a radar chip for a smartwatch, but it didn't work very well because they could not have very much energy in the radar signal. The FCC had limited the amount of radar energy they could emit, and the, the, the signal to noise was too low. So recently... The FCC granted Google permission to operate its sensors at a higher power than previously permitted, and this will allow Google to get more accurate radar-enabled motion. So they're pretty excited about it. And you can have all kinds of possibilities, raising the volume of your Google Home by simply rubbing your fingers together or switching through videos on Chromecast with a snap. You could, you could put your two fingers together, and it's like you're pressing a button. It's like you're just pressing a button when you put them together. And so this thing is going to actually, I think, transform how we interact with our devices. The agency, FCC, has allowed Google to up their radar strength to a level that will enable better functionality while not disturbing existing technology. The Soli chip incorporates the entire sensor and array into an ultra-compact 8-millimeter by 10-millimeter package. It's really an impressive product. I was watching several YouTube videos on it. Interesting. I keep blowing my nose and I turn the mic off and forget to turn it back on. Okay. All right. Let's give this a shot. This could end badly. Let's go to line one. This is Lewis in Rockville. Dr. Schertz, please go ahead and ask the question once again. Earlier in the show, we talk about Christopher Roy Monroe. He, of course, is one of the pioneers in quantum computers. And the quantum computer is based on the qubit. What is a qubit? Up and down on a qubit. Up. What? Up and, up and down on a screw fit. 
Up and down on the what? Uh, <laughs> could you repeat the last word, Lewis? We can't make make out what your last word was. Two bits. On the two bits? Up and down on the two bits. On the... I, do, I don't think we have the right answer no, there. It's close, but not yeah, right. Yeah, sorry, a... sorry. Uh, uh, we're gonna we're gonna go back to the drawing board on this. Uh, okay, how about this? Because uh, we've got one more person here. Is... Okay. Hang on a second. Okay. Is Doc? Okay, we're gonna go to line two. This is Doc and Sterling. I know this is a riveting radio. Doc, good morning. How are okay. you? Hey, doing fine. Thank all right, you. All right, uh, go ahead and uh, ask the question again. Yes. What is a? Of course, I'm talking about the one of the pioneers in quantum computer, Christopher Monroe. It's the quantum computer is based on the qubit. What is the qubit? The qubit is a bit that is neither uh, on or off, but it's up or down, and you won't know if it's up or down until you measure it. Uh, Doc, it's, uh, it's, you, it's close is enough. Is that close yeah, enough? It's close enough. Okay. All right. Our long national nightmare is That's over. That's right. Thank you. <laughs> Doc, thanks okay. for calling in and saving the show. <laughs> okay. Hang on a second. Andrew, we'll take your information. And whew. Wow. Yeah. Okay, where's the cough syrup? I think I need some more. Uh, it's Saturday morning, and you're listening to Tech Talk Radio, and this is uh, Federal News Radio. We're part of the Federal News Network, 1500 AM. 103.5 FM HD2, 103.9 FM HD2. You can watch us do the show and sweat and uh, all that other great stuff that we do here by downloading the Periscope app to your device and following us at WFED Tech Talk. We will be right back, maybe. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the internet, and IT careers. More of Tech Talk Radio, presented by Stratford University, coming up in a moment. In the next three years, there will be 3.5 million unfilled cybersecurity jobs. How can you make that work for you? Stratford University offers everything you need to succeed, from certifications to bachelor's and even master's degrees in cybersecurity to prepare you for a rewarding career in today's most lucrative and sought-after field, cybersecurity. Stratford has seasoned IT faculty, well-equipped labs, and real-life scenarios to help you achieve practical solutions to today's newest challenges. And Stratford makes a cybersecurity career reality with accelerated classes, year-round program starts, and both on-campus and online options to fit your busy schedule. All disciplines are offered, including digital forensics, networking and telecommunications, and our full line of degrees, including a master's in cybersecurity. Find the future of you with a future in cybersecurity. Go to stratford.edu slash cybersecurity today. That's stratford.edu slash cybersecurity. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the internet, and IT careers. Here's Dr. Richard Schertz of Stratford University with Tech Talk Radio. Welcome back to Tech Talk Radio. We're in the virtual faculty lounge at Stratford University talking technology. Consumers say no to high-priced iPhones. iPhone sales are going to fall $5 billion short of expectations. That's significant. Yeah. Now, this should not really be a surprise because Apple has kept jacking up the prices over and over <laughs> and over again. For the last couple of years, Apple has propped up its revenue by charging <laughs> ultra-high prices for iPhones. More than $1,000 for a phone, which is only slightly better than the one that the user you know, previously had. A little better right. camera, but, but a huge price. It was only a matter of time before people said, no more. And they did. 
and they said it in Chinese. (laughs) China is Apple's third biggest market after the United States and Europe, but it is facing a sluggish economy aggravated by a trade war with the United States. At the same time, the country's own smartphone Smartphone makers, Huawei, Oppo, Vivo, and Xiaomi, make excellent phones, and they charge about half the price of the iPhones. Now, uh, the Trump administration has been accusing China of stealing iPhone technology and giving it to these other companies. Oh, really? You know what? I have just found something here. Okay. How do you say no more in Chinese? Since you said no more in Chinese, here it is. Busai. 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 Okay. No more Chinese. Okay, thinking, sorry about that. Continue I'm thinking, on. I'm thinking Tim Cook knows that word really well. Probably so. <laughs> Apple even admitted that in developed markets, that that would include, you know, the U.S., Europe, and all, that the iPhone upgrades are not as strong as they thought they would be. And here's the problem for Apple. iPhone represents two-thirds of Apple's revenue. Two-thirds. So the company's got to change its ways. Now, then they're going to have to get some more innovation going. Now, the first thing they're doing, sort of in the short term, they're giving you new incentives to trade in your old phone. So instead of giving you $200 for the old phone, they give you $300. Okay. Then that way, they don't say that we've cut the price of the iPhone. Yeah. You see? Ah, uh, yes. It's so uh, they, the old shell game. Yes, right. So, they, so they're giving – and then what they're planning to do is they're going to refurbish those phones that they buy back, and they're going to resell them to people who never owned an iPhone at all at a very low price. So okay. They're, so they're going to try to expand their market at the low end with the, with the old refurbished iPhones. Interesting. Now, the next big thing for um, Apple is going to be the launch of 5G because that will require a new phone. You know, 5G is the thing that's going to have, like, super fast. Uh, so you will have to get a new phone when we if, go to... F- if you want 5G, yeah. So that's... Oh, okay. That's but big, you'll still be able to... Yeah, you'll still... Because they'll still have 4G out there. They'll still have the legacy networks out there. But if you want to have 5G capacity, you'll you'll have to get a new phone. Now, Apple is not going to launch the 5G iPhone until 2020 because they're in a, uh, in a feud with the Qualcomm and they're trying to make get their own 5G chip through Intel and that's you know lagging a bit. But the other makers like Samsung Huawei are going to offer 5G phones this year. So Apple with 5G alone is not going to get much of an edge. They're going to have to do more in the play. And so what analysts are thinking is that they're going to make a big push for augmented reality. Now augmented reality of course is when you can you can superimpose a digital image over a real image, and uh, and Apple's been making major major investments in augment, augmented reality. Now the problem is existing AR glasses, augmented reality glasses, are just way too heavy, because of all the computing horsepower that's needed to make them work. Now this is where the 5G fits in. 5G is so fast that you can send all the data back to the central servers at say Apple. It will do the augmented reality calculations and send it back to the phone super fast. And with the 5G bandwidth, there won't be any lag time. So they can all of a sudden have extremely powerful augmented reality glasses operating in a way that are very um, operating without much computing power locally. And so you might see... Uh, augmented reality glasses with a little Apple logo on them, and that may be what you know Apple's next big push. That's what they're 
That's what the analysts are thinking. Because Apple's got to come up with, you know, they, they, they've got to get another pony in their trick basket. That's, uh, you know, they used to be so strong, and, and now this. I mean, that's that's a huge shortfall. So let me ask you this. I mean, you're, you're pretty familiar with Chinese culture and, and, mm-hmm. and what life is like in China. Um, are they re- – I mean, is is – are people affluent enough over there to be able to afford uh, these? I mean, obviously there are cheaper options, but if there weren't, would they be able to afford these expensive iPhones? Well, in China, having a luxury status item is worth it. So they'll buy designer clothes sort of culturally being... So when Apple was elite, super status, okay. But now there are... Chinese competing phones that are really quite good that also have stature mm-hmm. with Samsung and, and with these these uh, these other uh, other companies in China, Huawei, Oppo, Vivo, and Xiaomi. And so now what's happening, these other phones are so well manufactured that they have the same status feel as the Apple. So then the question to the Chinese is, is it worth the extra $500 for the status? So when I was putting together some of the shows for over the holidays, I, I found a bit. I think I forget which when it actually aired. We were talking with David Bird about the, the 5C. Was that manufactured to, to aim at the Chinese market specifically because it was or was it just that it was made over there? No, it was it was just made to be a, a low cost option. Gotcha. OK, so they they just made it with like almost a plastic. Case. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it had the, the, the funky colored plastic. Cases. Yeah, and it, and it was so poorly made that it didn't sell. And yeah. they, they ended up canceling it. You can buy them now. I was looking at some on eBay. Uh, actually, they're, they're still pretty overpriced on eBay. People still want a lot of money for those stupid things. And yeah. they're, they're junk, right? Yeah, they are. They that that was not a very popular choice. But that's I think that's where Apple was trying to get at the low end market. Mm. So they never really figured a way to to address the low end market, but also not lose the high end market. So this this uh, extra hundred bucks traded is that changing your your thought about? You were talking about getting an Apple Ten, right? Yeah, I'm, Apple X. I, I'm sorry. Listen, I'm going to get another phone because I want a better camera, uh-huh. and I think if I if I if I upgrade my iPhone, it's just going to be purely for the camera. I have a friend who did just that over the holidays because he, he there was some I think it was a Walmart deal where they were yeah. giving extra money back. Yeah, it's just it's just I want I want the better camera. I mean the I mean the other features like the you know the texting and the phone and everything else is just it's all the same. It's all the same, right? So it's only the camera yep. that I'm interested in. Gotcha. Actually, I'm not really so much interested in this 5G actually because I don't need super high bandwidth. No. No. I don't. I don't watch movies We've and other things. Finally, like that. gotten to a place where things are fast enough, right? Yeah, that's you used right. to complain. Oh, it's so slow, and and but now it's fast enough. That's hey, right. Let's take a break. Okay, we will be back in just a second. You're listening to Tech Talk Radio on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network, 1500 AM, 103.5 FM HD2, 103.9 FM HD2. Follow us on Periscope at WFED Tech Talk, and you can watch us do the show. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the Internet, and IT careers. More of Tech Talk Radio, presented by Stratford University, coming up in a moment.
In the next three years, there will be 3.5 million unfilled cybersecurity jobs. How can you make that work for you? Stratford University offers everything you need to succeed, from certifications to bachelor's and even master's degrees in cybersecurity to prepare you for a rewarding career in today's most lucrative and sought-after field, cybersecurity. Stratford has seasoned IT faculty, well-equipped labs, and real-life scenarios to help you achieve practical solutions to today's newest challenges. And Stratford makes a cybersecurity career reality with accelerated classes, year-round program starts, and both on-campus and online options to fit your busy schedule. All disciplines are offered, including digital forensics, networking and telecommunications, and our full line of degrees, including a master's in cybersecurity. Find the future of you with a future in cybersecurity. Go to stratford.edu slash cybersecurity today. That's stratford.edu slash cybersecurity. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the internet, and IT careers. Here's Dr. Richard Schertz of Stratford University with Tech Talk Radio. Welcome back to Tech Talk Radio. We're in the virtual faculty lounge at Stratford University talking technology. Face recognition was tested on Christmas shoppers in the UK. This is the beginning of the end for <laughs> privacy. <laughs> uh, it's been a snowball rolling it downhill, is. actually. Facial recognition technology continues to be tried by police forces by police force in the UK, despite warnings of high error rates. In the latest test, the technology is being used to scan for faces, scan the faces of Christmas shoppers in London, hoping to spot wanted criminals. Really, it's the seventh time that the Metropolitan Police. Uh, have tested facial recognition in public. The technology has previously been used at large events, including Notting Hill Carnival in 2016 and 2017 and Remembrance Day services last year. This year, the technology was being used on Monday and Tuesday of Christmas week in Soho and Piccadilly Circus. The cameras were fixed to lampposts or deployed on vans. The software was developed by a Japanese firm, NEC, to measure the structure of passing faces. The scan then compared this to a database of police mugshots. The Met says, the, the Metropolitan Police say that the match via software will prompt officers to examine the individual and decide whether or not to stop them. The, the police also had to defend the high error rate. According to data released under the Freedom of Information Act, 98% of the matches made by the uh, software were mistakes. Wow. That's a problem. Wow, that is a problem. Can you imagine if that happened? If they, they tried this here, yeah, profiling all the other stuff. Oh my god, it would be. I I think there are huge privacy. The ACLU would have a field day. That's exactly right. So let's talk about a new way to get to launch a giant space telescope. You know, we we are. You know, they're they're launching these huge space telescopes, and they're you know they're they're just going, they're getting ready to launch a new one, which is. You know, it's extremely expensive because they got these curved mirrors that have to be perfectly done. And if you want a large aperture to get high resolution, you've got to have a huge image. Well, Ben Gurion University is trying to find a low-cost way around that. And they want to create a synthetic aperture in space. Now, what they do, now, a synthetic aperture, I'll explain how it's sort of how you do it mathematically. For instance, you could take a small camera and you could move it around in space and you could capture the images at each location, you know, the, the actual image at each location, including the, the phase and amplitude of the light coming in. You move it around 
And then after the fact, you mathematically combine all of those images to create one larger image, and it has essentially the effective aperture of the entire area that that small sensor had scanned. Mm -hmm. That's called synthetic um, aperture imaging, and it's been used in radar a lot. Their synthetic aperture has been used in radar because radar is very low resolution, so to increase the resolution of radars, they do synthetic aperture. So Ben Gurion University said, well, hey, let's, let's do this in space. So they published a paper in Optica where they proposed two satellites that were moving in synchrony in a circle. And they would collect data as they went around the circle. They would beam the, their data to a central computer that would then collect it and calculate it. And then they, and then they would calculate the, and then they would uh, compose the image that would be, that, that would be generated. And that, and that synthetic aperture image was, you know, the, the size of the aperture was the size of the circle, even though they were only scanning on the edge, and they got quite good results. So basically they were able to get results for a camera lens that was 50 times larger than the actual lens that was on the satellites themselves. Now why this is really interesting is that you could put low-cost satellites up there, and they can move around in a swarm, you could collect the data, and you could get a large aperture image. And suppose one of the satellites dies. You just replace it. Sure. It's just It's just a throwaway mm -hmm. item. You just replace it with a cheap. So this may be a low-cost way to get very, very large space telescopes in space. It's looking pretty good. Now, one of the issues has been how can the satellites accurately get their location? Because for synthetic aperture radar, you've got to have the location accurately done. And so what MIT researchers are doing, they're, they're thinking of putting a guide star up, another satellite that will sit thousands of miles out, and it will send back a, uh, a strong laser back to Earth, and the satellites will use that guide star for positioning. And that should give them a, a better, uh, a, a more accurate way to get absolute positioning. So... All these things put together, we might get a real breakthrough in space telescopes. Is GuideStar like the uh, the next gen of Navstar? Uh, Are they related at all? No, no, no not at just, all. Because no, Navstar was GPS. Yeah, yeah GPS. Now yep. this would just just be a, just be a single star, a single point of light that would be used for all the satellites to calculate their position. Okay, Amazon Go stores are going to be, could be a big business for Amazon. Now, these Amazon Go stores, these are the ones, these are cashless and cashierless, where customers just go in and grab stuff off the shelves, and, and when they exit, they're charged for the item. So as you go in, you, you basically swipe your card so they know you're a member of Amazon, and then they use facial recognition to watch you, you know, as you, as you walk around the store, and they have all these cameras that detect... What you take off the shelf and put in your bag. So you take it off the shelf, put it in the bag, take it, put it in the bag, and then just walk <laughs> out, and you'll be automatically charged for it. This won't work in Baltimore because people walk into stores all the time and take stuff without paying for it, That's, and they don't belong to Amazon. So how do how do they? Well, serious, this is a problem. So how do they uh, combat? Because not everybody has Amazon. Well, there are people there. Oh, okay. It's not there are there are people there. They have greeters. So they, <laughs> they better be armed. So they so they have they have greeters who as you you know we enter the store I, I think you'd be flagged if you didn't have an Hi, Amazon account. Welcome to Amazon. That's right. And so they have greeters. So what they found is that on average people spend a little bit more money in this in, when they just pick stuff off the shelves. And the av the typical order is around ten dollars a person, which is a little bit higher. And on the stores that they've set up so far, about five hundred and fifty people a day come to the store. 
which means that you that one small store would generate about a million and a half in revenue each year. Huh. And on average, a small convenience store generates about a million dollars a year. So this is actually a higher revenue generation rate than small convenience stores. That's interesting. And um, uh, yeah, I, I had a question, but it's gone. And Sorry. so they, they're planning to actually launch uh, around 3,000 Amazon Go stores by 2021. Those 3,000 stores would generate revenue in the ballpark of $4.5 billion a year. So that's like an entirely new business for Amazon. Isn't it amazing what Amazon started as and what it has become? I know it's just, and it's it's all because they got this great image processing capacity to you know to analyze what is what is going on. I mean, I would use that store. Sure, why not? Now, now the disadvantage is there's about a million dollars in hardware to set up all this stuff. So the stores initially are more expensive to set up. And now what they're also not certain of is how's the labor going to work out? Because somebody has to stock the shelves. Sure. Somebody's got to greet the customers and make certain they have an Amazon account. So there is still labor involved. And so all you're getting rid of is the cashier. So the question is, and this is the un, you know, this is what the, the what they're trying to evaluate, do they really save in labor? Well, if you look at it, your average 7-Eleven has one person there, right? Yeah, at, at the cashier. They're going to have to have at least one person at the Amazon store. They'll have to the, have one person at a greeter in, instead of a cashier. That's right. The thing is, it theoretically, is going to be faster to get out. Because if you've ever been in a 7-Eleven and somebody's buying all kinds of stupid stuff, and it, it, you get stuck. It is. It is faster to get out. That's why more people visit, and that's why they buy more. Because it's go, just a quick, quick in and out. Mm-hmm. More than 1 billion accounts were compromised in 2018. Wow. One billion people had their data compromised in 2018. It was from credit card skimming to technology bugs to, to, to bugs to outright hacks. 2018 was one of the worst years on record for data breaches. Mm. According to NordVPN, digital privacy expert Daniel Murkison, when you tally up all the most significant and worst data breaches of the year, the result can lead you to, the fa- to realize that more than a billion people we're compromised in 2018. Now, we unfortunately have little or no control over when a company is going to be hacked, but we can take a few precautionary steps. Now, these would include by providing companies only the minimum information they need about you. Don't give them everything. The less data they have, the less can be stolen. Change your passwords often. Use strong and unique passwords. Try not to use the same password everywhere. Those are a few simple things you can do. Now, here's a partial list of the data breaches. British Airways had 380,000 accounts hacked. Wow. Google Plus had 500,000 accounts hacked. TikiFly, owned by Eventbrite. Never even heard of it. 27 million accounts were hacked. Uber, 57 million accounts were hacked. Facebook, 147 million were hacked. <coughs> MyHeritage, 92 million. Quora, 100 million. And it, the list goes on and on. I'm telling you, we love your emails. Yep. Email us as soon as you can at techtalk at stratford.edu. Tech Talk Radio is sponsored by Stratford University. For more information on courses at Stratford University, call 1-800-444-0804. Thanks for listening to Tech Talk Radio Online.